Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, April 24th, 2022, we continue our series titled Romans, Gospel for All Time. Today's sermon, How to Kill Your Sin, will be taught to us by Pastor Thomas Slager out of Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. But first, here's a quick recap of last week's sermon. If the Spirit dwells in us, we belong to God. If the Spirit dwells in us, we will experience abundant and advantaged life. If the Spirit dwells in us, we will be given life eternally, even though we'll die. So what? What's that mean for me today? See, God sent a helper for a reason. It's because we need help. The Bible says the Father so loved the world that he sent who? The Son to save us. Guess what? The Son so loved us that he sent who? The Spirit to help us, to guide us, to convict us. For we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're not our own, we were bought with the price. Therefore, we honor God with our bodies, amen? I love spring. The flowers, they just explode all of the sudden out of nowhere. The golf courses are immaculate. I love spring. At the same time, I hate spring. Because as soon as those flowers explode, I can no longer breathe out of my nose. I'm crying all the time. People, oh, what's wrong, man? It's just my allergies. They're terrible. It's the worst. Uh, and then also, I don't know if you know about this, like your landscaping looks pretty nice and then you go to sleep and then the next morning you wake up and there's just a bajillion weeds everywhere. All of a sudden it's like, what? I don't know what happened. Like I, we took care of this last year. Like we chopped them all off. I even got some Roundup and, and sprayed some things. I think I dealt with them the way I was supposed to, and then before long, it's like they're just popping up all over the place, they're taking over your backyard, Um, they're creeping into parts of your yard that they never creeped into before, and it's ridiculous, and and you might be thinking, man, did we come to church to hear a a sermon on weeds this morning? Um, No, not on weeds, but you did come to church to hear uh, a sermon on deeds, deeds of the body, deeds of the flesh, sinful deeds, that oftentimes focus, uh, function a lot like the weeds in our backyard. See, we think We've taken care of them. That's what happens with our weeds. We try to do the right thing before the next season starts, and then before long, they start popping back up in your life, and you think, man, I thought I took care of them. And then you realize, oh, I only dealt with the surface issue. There's actually something going on down deeper that needs to be dealt with to deal with the stuff up top. And that's what we're going to learn today from Paul, that by the Spirit, we are to put to death the deeds of the body, and that in doing so, we can truly find life. So I'd invite you, Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17, that's where we're at this morning as we continue um, our discussion in the book of Romans, specifically our discussion on the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. Beginning in verse 12, it says this, so then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body... You will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Let's pray one more time, ask for the Lord's help. God, well, it's my voice that's been heard this morning. We know it's your word that's been spoken. 
And we trust your word, the word of God, is the authority for our life. God, we come to your word this morning to find truth, to find understanding, to find your words, to find your conviction, to find what it means to live a life of a Jesus follower. So God, this morning we pray that you would um, open our eyes and maybe see things in our life we've never seen before. You'd open our ears that we'd hear you in a way we've never heard you before. You'd open our mind that we would know you in ways we've never known you before. Our hearts to love you in ways we've never loved you before. And open our mouths that we would speak the mighty and matchless name of Jesus, the good news, the gospel that you came to save the world. God, would you do all that for your glory and your glory alone? And all God's people said, amen. Romans chapter eight, verses 12 through 17. If you're following an outline, those two outline points um, are really gonna serve this morning to be a guide as a structure through the passage this morning. Um, And then on the back end of it, we're gonna talk more about what it looks like and what it means to kill the sin in our life. So the first thing we're gonna look at is the Holy Spirit and our sin. The Holy Spirit and our sin in verses 12 through 13. Beginning in verse 12, it says, so then, brothers, so then kind of functions like a therefore. And every time you see therefore in the Bible, you go back to see what it's there for. And in this case, it's talking about us being filled with the Holy Spirit because we are the dwelling place, the temple of the Holy Spirit because God dwells in us. Therefore, so then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. A debtor, it's someone who's in obligation to something, someone who owns somebody, something. And specifically here, Paul says, because we are in Christ and because Christ in is us, we owe sin nothing. We are not obligated to sin. We are not obligated to flesh. We are free because we are in Christ and Christ is in us. What is the flesh? We've talked about the flesh as being the affections, attitudes, and actions of our hearts that run contrary to God's affections, attitudes, and actions. So if God says, sit down, we want to stand up. If God says, go left, we want to go right. If God says, be quiet, we want to speak up. Basically, we are hardwired at birth to do the opposite thing that God would have us do. That's our flesh. That's who we are. We're born sinners. We are born in the flesh. But here he says, we are not obligated to live that way. We're not obligated to live that way. At one point in our life, we were. The Bible said we were slaves to sin. We were dead in sin. So when sin said jump, we had to say, how high? But now in Christ, because we're not obligated to flesh, sin says jump, and we can freely say, no. I don't live that way anymore. That's not who I am. The Bible says anyone in Christ is a new creation. The old, has come, the old is gone and new things have come. He's doing a new thing in our life. He's producing new fruit in our life. There's a new freedom in our life. By the power of the Spirit, we are not debtors to our sin, to live according to our sin. Verse 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So we have two options here. We can choose a life where we want to live or we can choose a life where even though we live, we'd rather live it like we're dying. What's your choice? Okay, do you want to live? Do you want to die? It's not a trick question. We'll answer on three. Live or die. One, two, three. All right, that was good. 12 of you said you want to live, so... 
for the 12 of us who'd like to live, here is what God says. He says, if you live according to flesh, you'll die. If you live according to those affections, if you live according to those attitudes, if you live according to those actions, just living the way you used to live apart from Christ, it only leads to death. But if by the Spirit, by the power of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, God dwelling inside of us, if by him and through him and in him we put to death our sin, we put to death the deeds of the body, we put to death the flesh, then we can live. Famous theologian John Owen said it like this, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. There's really only two options. We can attack it and try to kill it or we can do nothing, in which case we will be attacked and killed by our sin. If we kill sin, we can truly live. Now here's the question. If you've been with us thus far in our study of Romans, Romans talks a lot about how our flesh is dead, like how, how our sin has been crucified, how the body of sin, the deeds of the flesh have been brought to nothing. Romans chapter six, take your Bible and flip maybe a page to the left. Romans chapter six, beginning in verse six, it says this, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Okay, sweet. So by the spirit, put to death deeds of the body, put to death, death sin. Then Jesus did that. He crucified our sin. He crucified our old self. Verse seven, for the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We can live with him now in this life and we'll live with him in eternity, in the future, in perfect harmony. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has no dominion over him and no longer has dominion over us because we are in Christ. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Is that how you see you? See, when Christ sees his children, when Christ sees people he paid, he paid for, he paid the penalty for their sin for, when Christ sees us, he sees us as dead to sin and alive to God. Is that how you see you? Do you see yourself the way Christ sees you? Do you see yourself dead to sin? Do you see yourself alive to him? Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passion. See, Paul says, hey, Jesus died for your sin. He crucified your sin. He crucified your flesh so that the deeds of the body would be brought to nothing. So is it done? Sin is dead. We no longer have to deal with it. Galatians chapter five, verse 24 up on the screen says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, sweet, our flesh, our sin, the deeds of the body, the temptations, our old attitudes, our old affections, our old actions, all of them are gone. They've been crucified, right? So we no longer struggle with them. That's been your experience as a Christian, hasn't it? No more temptation to lie, to cheat, to steal. No more temptation to lust. No more temptation to greed, right? If you read past Romans chapter six to Romans chapter seven, Paul's like, what is going on? What is wrong with me? I'm in Christ now, I'm following Jesus, but the things I wanna do, I don't do them. And the things I don't wanna do, these are the things I keep on doing. 
Wretched man that I am, who can save me from this body of death? And the response, as it should be for all of us, thanks be to God and Jesus Christ our Lord. Because that's the battle we live in today. We live in this already, but not yet. We have crucified the flesh. You look at Colossians 3, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So this is one of those already, we've done it, but not yet. It's not totally accomplished and fulfilled and finished. Believers have crucified their flesh, yet still we're supposed to put to death the earthly things in our life. We're supposed to mortify our sin. We're supposed to be killing our sin or our sin will be killing us. See, followers of Jesus are no longer in the flesh, but the flesh still finds a way to make its way in to followers of Jesus. So how do we kill it? Let's pause on that thought and we'll return to that in just a moment towards the end. Let's move to verse 14. Second part of our passage that we see, the Holy Spirit and our adoption into God's family. Verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You could say the opposite of this is true as well. Those who are sons and daughters of God are led by the Spirit of God. If you are a child of God, the Holy Spirit is in you and leading you. The question is, are you listening and following or not? Most of the time, we treat the Holy Spirit like a little poly pocket. We throw him in our pocket and we say, come with me, Jesus. We're doing this thing. We're actually, I think we should yield to him and allow him to lead. Ask God, where would you have me go? What would you have me say? We have a, a woman who leads in our mom's ministry and she, she does this every morning. And I should say, a, a led by the spirit to a new level I have not heard of before. But she will stand in her closet and pray and ask God, God, what would you have me wear today? which apparently I should have done the same thing this morning. <laughs> Can you imagine that though? Yielding to the point where the things you wear in the morning, where you're asking God to speak to you, God, would you lead me? What would you have me wear? You're looking for a job. Where would God, where would you have me work? Looking for a spouse. God, who would you have me pursue? Who would you have me date? Who would you have me marry? We're just led by the Spirit. We yield. We talked about walking by the Spirit um, last week, and I think it's helpful to, re or two weeks ago, I think it might be helpful to recap that um, right now. We talked about it in four ways. First, we pause. Walking by the Spirit, we pause. We remember that we are a temple of the Holy Spirit, that we are God's dwelling place, that God lives in us, that we are in Christ, and Christ is in us. We remember who we are. We remember who lives in us. Secondly, we pray. Jesus said, it's good for you that I go because if I go, I'll send you the helper. God sent us a helper because we need help to live the life that God has called us to live. So we pray, we say, God, you've sent a helper to be my help. Will you help me? Will you help me bite my tongue in this fight I'm having with my spouse? Will you help me be patient? Holy Spirit, that's who you are. It's what you do, fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. That's the fourth one. Would you produce patience in my life? It's a hard coworker, God, this person's driving me insane. Will you help me? Will you give me some compassion, some empathy, some sympathy? 
to Christ is, our sympathetic high priest. God, would you help me be like your son Jesus? Help me be sympathy to this person. We pray. Third thing, we proceed in power. We don't, it's not this, I got this. I know what to do in this situation. I've been a Christian for so long. I know what to do before Jesus knows what to do. I can do this all by myself. We don't proceed on our power. We proceed in Christ's power. We ask him for his help and then we respond trusting that he will be the help we need in that moment. And then fourth and finally, we praise. We say, God, thank you. Thank you for not leaving me alone to live this life, but equipping me and empowering me to live the life that you have called me to be. You have called me to be your hands. You've called me to be your feet. Now you've produced that power in my life. I thank you for being my helper. It's what it looks like to be led by and walk by the spirit. Verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We're no longer slaves to our sin. We're a child of God. That's who we are. We're just saying this. Who the son sets free is free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. That's who I am. That's who we are in Christ. Do you see yourself the way Christ sees you? God sees you as a child. Do you see yourself as a child of the most high God or do you see yourself as a slave to the sin you used to struggle with? You know, sometimes when you read the Bible, these themes jump out and you're like, why is that there? We're like, why are, like, talking about slavery seems a little weird all of a sudden in this passage and then adoption, how does that all factor in? And what sometimes seems a little weird to us does not seem weird to the original audience this letter was written for to begin with. Roman Christians knew all about slavery. Roman Christians knew all about adoption. Adoption was practiced all throughout Roman culture and it was typically practiced from royalty. Royal family members would adopt less than royal family members. Let me give you one instance. Maybe you've heard of a man by the name of Octavian. You may know him better as Caesar Augustus. Or maybe you know the man Julius Caesar. Octavian was a great-grandnephew of Caesar Augustus. My history is so bad. It's one of the classes I was not good at, so I'm just going to read this. He was the grand-nephew of Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar named him as an heir to his throne, posthumously adopting him as his own son, allowing him to become the heir of the throne. He went from rags to riches, from rags to riches. And for us, when we look at this, we're not just going rags to riches. We're going slave to sin to child of God, adopted in to his family. And in Roman culture, adoption worked different than in Jewish culture, right? In Jewish culture, you'd have the firstborn who'd get like more than half the stuff, right? Raise your hand if you're a firstborn. We don't like you, okay? <laughs> you get the most things, you get dad's business, you get this, you get that, you get all the stuff. Not in Roman culture. There was no double portion. Um, You didn't get the the first fruits, the birthright. It wasn't like that in Roman culture. In Roman culture, if you were a child, then you were an heir to all of it, not just some of it, to all of it. That's what it is for us. Right? We think Jesus as the son of God. He's actually saying, "You're, you're a child of God too. Jesus was a son. He was the firstborn son. But the rest of us were also God's children. And because we are God's children, later on it says we're also heirs. We're heirs to his kingdom. 
Verse 16, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Last time we were together, we talked about roles of the Holy Spirit. We see two more in this passage I wanna highlight. We see the one in verse 14, the Holy Spirit leads us. We are led by the Holy Spirit of God. And in verse 16, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. He testifies to our salvation. He reminds us, you're a child of God. How does he do that? You just, hey, hey man, just want to give you a quick reminder. You're saved. You're a child of God. Just questioning my salvation. No, man, don't do that. It's okay. You're a child of God. Is it like that? Is it this internal thing? I don't think it is. One of the primary ways we see the Holy Spirit show up in the life of a believer is Galatians chapter five, where we see the fruit of the Spirit. How does he testify? How does he witness that we are, in fact, children of God? He changes us. He changes us. Things are produced in our life that have never been produced before. Galatians chapter five, verse 22, it says, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. He testifies, he's a witness to us. He produces those things in our life to remind us that we are children of God. Just quick survey. How many of you have been walking with Jesus for 10 plus years? Follower of Jesus, 10 plus years, right? And, and all of us, all, every one of us who walks with Jesus will have this experience someday. Well, you'll look back on the person you used to be and be like, wow, have I changed. If not, that's a problem. This is what God does. He changes us. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, new has come. What's the new? It's the fruit of the Spirit, God producing things in our life, changing us from the inside out. Or someone might see you now, maybe they knew you back in high school and you were your punk self who were doing, chasing all the worldly things early in college, doing and chasing all the worldly things. And they see you now and you are, they're like, wow, you've changed. You've changed a lot. How? Spirit of God witnessing and testifying that you are in fact a child of God. See, God loves all of his children just the way they are, but he loves them way too much to leave them there. He will change you. He will change your life. He will produce things and do things in you you never thought imaginable. It's who he is. He, what he, it's what he does. He produces fruit in our life. He bears witness, gives testimony to that we, in fact, are children of God. And I love that he throws this idea of being a witness in here, tied to the adoption from slave to child of God, because even back then in adoption ceremonies, there were always witnesses. So if someone were to ever make an accusation to say, no, they're not an heir to the throne, no, they weren't adopted into that family, witnesses would step forward and say, yes, they were, I was there. I saw it. I was a witness to it. They can testify to it. That's what the Holy Spirit does in our life. He's a witness that we are, in fact, children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. I don't like that part, the suffering part. I like the heir part. I like the no longer a slave, now a child of God part. But the suffering part? I don't think I'm alone, right? Like we're like, oh, I'd rather not. Like if I have a preference, I'd rather be like, no, right? I don't know when, at what point, like we bought this lie that following Jesus was this easy, breezy, beautiful, cover girl Christianity life. 
where nothing's wrong, nothing's hard, everything is awesome, it's wealth and prosperity, it's name it and claim it, everything is gonna be easy from here on out. That's not Jesus. Okay, if that's the Jesus that someone told you you're following, that's not Jesus. Jesus said things in Luke 6, 22, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, and they revile you, and they spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Jesus said, hey, remember, if they hate you, they hated me first. John 15, 19 through 20, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word I said to you, a servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. If they persecuted Christ, they'll persecute Christians. If they persecuted Jesus, they'll persecute people who follow Jesus. Now in the early church, uh, like early centuries, when, when the church was being built and, and, and born, the call to follow Jesus was a call to come and die. The reality was, if you're gonna follow Christ, the world's gonna hate you and there's a good chance someone's gonna take your life for it. There's a good chance your family's gonna disown you, your family's gonna turn on you and treat you as if you were dead. That was the reality back then. The reality now for a lot of Christians all over the world is the same thing. The call to follow Christ is a call to come and die. It's a call to be disowned by your family. It's a call to be hated by the world. Now, for whatever reason, in the context we get to follow Jesus, we don't experience this. We might experience exclusion at the best. Blessed are you when you are excluded from things, excluded from family gatherings because you're the uncle, the aunt, the brother, the sister, the cousin who won't stop talking about Jesus. You're the weird Jesus freak. You're the weird guy who wants to pray before brisket. So let's not, can we, it's just weird. I feel bad about my sins every time they're there and I don't want them there. It's exclusion. That might be the worst that we face in this life when it comes to persecution. That's not the only type of suffering. We know that, right? Jesus said, in this world, you'll have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. What's that trouble look like? Various kinds of trials. That's what James said. Consider it pure joy when you encounter trials of various kinds. Why? Because the testing of our faith ultimately develops character, helps us become the people that God has called us to be. So if we're heirs, if we're heirs to God, we're heirs to all of it. Not just the good things, the bad things. If he suffered, we'll suffer. If he was persecuted, we too will also be persecuted. Pastor Jeff is gonna lead us next weekend through uh, the sermon and a lot more of that sermon will be on suffering. So I encourage you to come back next weekend um, and hear uh, what that means in the life of a believer, the, the place of suffering for us. I wanna return now to verse 13 and talk about that idea of putting to death the deeds of the body. He says, but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. How? That's the question. How do I kill my sin? I wanna live the life God has called me to live. These things keep pulling me back in, pulling me back into the life I used to live, pulling me back into the person I used to be. How do I kill those things? First of all, it has to be by 
the Spirit. Up on the screen, Colossians chapter two, um, verses 20 through 23, it says this. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. It's a whole list of don'ts. Referring to the things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Our best set of rules that we impress on ourselves, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in our life will not stop us from sinning. Don't smoke, don't drink, don't chew, don't dance, don't go with girls who do, and your life will be perfect. Really though, it's just a whole list of don'ts is the Christian life. Just don't do, just, just depend on self, depend on my own works, depend on my own self-righteousness, which is not righteousness, it's just sin, it's pride. Believers aren't saved by works, we're saved by grace, we're saved by the works of Jesus. So if we condense this whole thing down to a list of do's and don'ts, how to defeat sin, do this, don't do this, then it's not gonna work. It has the appearance of godliness, it has the appearance of wisdom, but it's, if it's detached from the work of the Spirit in our life, it's not gonna get us anywhere. How do we kill sin? By the Spirit. First thing we need to do by the power of the Spirit is remember that Jesus already did. Jesus already killed our sin. Romans 6, verse six, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. We need to consider ourselves, therefore, dead to sin and alive to God. How do we kill sin? We remember Jesus already did. Second thing, we walk by the Spirit, Galatians 5, 16, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk with Jesus. When Jesus calls us to follow him, he doesn't just call us to him, he calls us away from something else. Look at the lives of the apostles. Follow me. Peter didn't say, okay, cool. So we're just gonna keep living life the same way, right? He said, no, follow me. They dropped what they were doing and they walked with Jesus. That's what God's calling us to. He calls us to follow him. When we follow Jesus, Jesus is going to bring us out of those things. He's going to bring us away from the sin in our life. He's gonna bring us away from the temptations that we face. We walk by the Spirit. We walk with Jesus and allow him to move us out of the things that hold so closely. Third thing, how do we kill sin by the Spirit? We use the sword of the Spirit. Ephesians 6, we see the full armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God, right? And all of the, most of the parts we see, it's all defense. It's a chest plate, and you got a helmet, and you've got shoes, and you've got a belt, and you've got all this. You've got the shield, and there's one offensive weapon, and he says it's the sword of the Spirit. And take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, the Bible says the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. The word of God is powerful. Psalm 119, verse nine, David asks the question, how can a young man keep his way pure? He answers his own question, by living according to thy word. Psalm 119, 11, I have hidden your word in my heart. Why? That I wouldn't sin against you. We pick up the word of God. We actually take that sword out of its sheath and put it to work in our life. 
You've heard it said that dusty Bibles lead to dirty lives. How dusty is your Bible? Are you in it? Do you know how to use it? Do you read it? Do you apply it? It's alive. It's active. It's cutting things out of us that need to be removed. How do we kill sin? We kill sin by the power of the word of God. Fourth thing, four, five, and six all come from that sword of the spirit. We kill it early. How do we kill sin? We kill it early. Titus 2, 11 and 12, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. I don't know what that thing is for you, that thing that keeps holding on to you, like you're trying to follow Jesus, but it's a shackle attached to your ankle that's actually not there because we're free. But it's that one thing that you keep falling back to. It's that one thing that brought you comfort. It's the one thing that relieved your stress back before you walked with the Lord. And that's the thing you keep going back to and it causes guilt. It causes shame. The things I don't want to do are the things I keep on doing. Who can save me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We renounce it. Have you ever renounced it? Actually said, I'm done with it. I'm done with being that guy. I'm done with being that girl. I'm done with that struggle. I'm done with that sin. That is not who I am. It's not who I am. We make that decision. We renounce it. Renounce the ungodliness in our life. Fifth thing, we kill it at its source. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 3, 29 through 30. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Now, typically after service, we have a prayer team down front. This morning, we're gonna have a team of surgeons who are ready to um, remove your hands and your eyes and your feet. I think the idea here that Jesus is getting to is do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to remove that sin from your life. Whatever it takes. Fellas, if, it, if, if after your wife goes to bed, you're one of those guys who goes back to the office to get some work done and you run to the same old sins all the time, do what it takes. Cut the cord. Cut the cord. Do what it takes. Every time I hang out with this group of friends, the same stuff happens we end up getting drunk. We end up making them all these same decisions. Cut it out. Stop going there. Uh, early on in our marriage, my wife had this group of friends and like stuff would be going great at home and our relationship would be awesome. She'd go hang out with these ladies and when she'd come back, she'd just be mad at me. Like really upset and I'm like, what happened? And it was just gossip fest. It was like once a month, the ladies would get together and gripe about their guys. And it was like, let's just, and it's like, do you see how unhealthy this is? She had to cut it out. I'm not gonna do that. I see how toxic it is for my relationship. I see how toxic it is for my home life. It's just only, I'm just gonna buy this this once. It's just a couple of drinks. It's not even that big deal. It's a special occasion. I've got this thing figured out. Okay, but you know what that turns into every time. Are you willing to do whatever it takes? I think that's the spirit, the heart that Jesus wants us to have. We have to kill it at its source. We have to cut it out. 
Sixth thing, we kill sin in the light of community. It means we don't do it alone. We don't do it alone. James 5 tells us to confess our sins to one another. Bring things out into the light. Stop hiding them. Stop hiding them. Bring them out so your community, your brothers and sisters in Christ can help. 1 John 1, 5 through 7 says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. We say we have fellowship with Christ, but we keep living this separate life, this life in the darkness that we keep from people. If we say we have fellowship with him, but that's the life that we live, God says we're liars and we're not practicing truth. I don't know what the thing is that you're struggling with. Right? And maybe right now in your head, you're thinking, my, my thing is one of those respectable things. Okay, it's not that big of a deal. It's not like a big sin. It's respectable. It's just greed and jealousy and gossip and slander and dissension. Well, God hates those things. Those are big things. Would you bring those out? Bring those out in your small group. Bring those out in your home. Talk to your spouse. Talk to a close friend and say, hey, this is really becoming an issue in my life and we need to kill it. I've been keeping it in the dark, but I've learned it's kind of hard to kill stuff in the dark. It's much easier when it's out in the light where we can see it clearly, where we can process through it and kill it together. For some of you, you might need to get some uh, like serious help. You might need a, a team of people that you can meet with throughout the week. Uh, if that's you, if you're trying to battle a pornography addiction, an alcohol addiction, any type of uh, abuse, any type of substance addiction that you have, let's bring it to the light and let's kill it together. That's why the church is here. We're here to help each other. We're here to put to death the sin, the deeds of the body. Jesus already did. He killed it. It's dead. It's dead. Let's not allow it to have a grip over us anymore. By the spirit of God, may we put to death the deeds of the body and in doing so, truly live the life that Christ has called us to live. Amen? Let's pray. God, we're so thankful for you. We're thankful that you came and did the impossible for us. God, you came and lived a perfect life a life we could never live. God, we fall short of your glory so bad. God, your word says the wages of that sin, the wages of the flesh, the wages of all of that, it's death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. God, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, and we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who empowers us, who indwells us to walk with you day by day. He's so good, isn't he? I love that line, his goodness is running after us. God's a pursuing God. He has pursued our hearts. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son. He pursued us that if we'd believe in him, we wouldn't die, but we'd have everlasting life. Jesus came to bring us life. The Bible also says, if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, that we'd be saved. We could have that life. If only we'd confess, if only we'd believe. Confess means agree. Agree that he is the Lord of your life. 
believe not just that he existed some point in history as a good teacher. Jesus said he was so much more than that. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We either believe Jesus is who he said he was, or we believe he's a liar. What do you believe about Jesus? Do you trust him? Do you believe he came and lived the perfect life we couldn't live? He died the death we deserved to die, defeated death, came to life that in Christ you and I can truly live? Do you believe that? The Bible says if we do, we can live. We can have life. We're gonna have our prayer team down front after the service. If that's you this morning, if you wanna give your life to the Lord, I'd encourage you, I would love to have you come talk to a member of our prayer team. Uh, maybe this morning you're finding you just need some help conquering and putting to death, to death some sins in your life. There's a card and a seat back in front of you. You can write your info and drop, I'd like to check, talk to someone about my life and maybe in the memo, write something, put it in the box. We'll reach out to you this week and we can kill that thing together. We can work together. By the deeds, by the spirit, we put to death the deeds of the body we can live. Would we live this week? Would we walk by the spirit? Would we be led by the spirit for the glory of God and the glory of God alone, amen? We love you guys. Have a fantastic week.